In the Valley of a Thousand Hills, it's a Monday morning in April 2008. We are on the road that leads into the Kwasiza Bantu mission. Inside the compound is the source of Akwele mineral water, both its spring and its bottling plant. On the road outside the mission, two women report for work. At the heavily guarded entrance, they will greet the security guard, they will sign the register, and then make their way to the bottling plant. But today, there's a problem. Wait here, the guards tell Mandy Nomia and her colleague Nokola Mamela. Both these women are pregnant, and neither of them are married. They wait a bit, and then the manager, Nico Bossman, appears. He's about to break a number of labor laws and defy the South African constitution. You're not welcome here, the manager tells them. Okwele is on the grounds of KSB, and KSB refuses entry to people like them. And so, the two women take the road away from the mission again. But Mandy Nomia is not giving up. By the time this is over, Mandy will have won justice. It'll take six years, and for Mandy, it'll come at a terrible cost. Even when it loses, Kwasizabantu always wins. Well, it has for 50 years now. But what happens at the mission does not have to stay at the mission. This is Exodus, Chapter 2. I'm Noctula Magnanti, a reporter at News24. Last time, I introduced you to Erica Bornman. I have been raised to not ask questions and to not question my parents. And to Kalimbina Malinga. I wasn't going to be seeing just my parents in church. I was going to make new friends. By now, it's 1987. Erica is 15 years old. Kalimbilo is 11. And both of them are living at the Kwasizabantu Mission in KwaZulu-Natal. It's a hard place to be if you're a woman or a child. If you're a girl child, you're the lowest of the low. Now, as someone who went to high school down the road from KSB, I've been wondering how my life would have differed from the one I had if I were a student at Domino Savita. That's what the KSB school is called, Domino Savita. Just what are your options? Or do you really have no choice? Must you just grin and bear it till kingdom come? In 1987, apartheid still has seven years to go. In the South Africa that exists outside Kwasizabantu, it's a war between the struggle and the state of emergency. Here is Winnie Matigizela Mandela speaking at a rally. We are no longer prepared to tolerate that criminal act by a minority. President P.W. Boerta's vision for a new South Africa involves giving brown and Indian people legally meaningless representation in the white minority parliament. 
and he sounds shocked that this has not settled things once and for all. Despite the government's commitment to negotiation for a new South Africa, in which the reasonable aspirations of all its citizens would be satisfied, violence has continued. Meanwhile, it's a hard no from Eugene Terreblanche of the Africana Resistance Movement, or AWB. I think there will be more explosions and I think there will be more actions if the government will ignore the just claim of my people to demand some land. But at the mission, it's just an ordinary Sunday. Erika and Gilimbila in church for another interchangeable sermon. Elo Stegen is preaching in Isisulu. With his universal translator in turn. Our theme is Escape for Your Life. The one who hasn't escaped will never escape finally, for he will land in hell. But wherever he starts off, he often gets to his favorite topic, the evil woman in the Bible. Eve, Delilah, Potiphar's wife, and of course, his beloved Lot, and Lot's inadequate wife, doomed to spend all eternity as a pillar. Lot's wife, as we see depicted in this picture here, she decided to turn around and God changed her into a pillar of salt. In this experience that Lot underwent, he was able to be a true man in that. He just kept his eyes set to the front. The story of Lot, he says, holds lessons for everyone. The lust of the flesh, some fall into that pit every day. It's on a daily basis and they just never escape it. Neither Erica nor Dilimbila know what lust is, but they sure do know whose fault it is. Women who do not do as they are told. Nevertheless, still troubled by youthful lust. Or maybe they are a child, but they are already troubled by lust. And the Bible says, flee from that. For instance, here he is railing against women who drink alcohol and have televisions. They don't have brains in their head. And instead of brains in their head, you see that they bound just by um, habits and instinct. If they hear just a bit of a beat, their body starts to jerk in different directions. They can't hold a job. They're unemployable. And instead, that's the type of thing and you have brought it about. That's our new reality. I start being really scared of being a woman. I don't want to be the cause of people sinning because that is my destiny. I am going to become the person who causes men to sin. And so I have to do everything in my power to not be visible. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be praised anymore. I don't, I, I just want to be invisible because then I can't make anyone sin because of me. It's not easy for me at first to become invisible. It takes a little while because, you know, I, I have always been the sunshine child. My sister hates that. 
Becoming invisible doesn't come naturally to Tulimbilo either. A little while after arriving at KSB, it's her 12th birthday. There are no big celebrations at the mission, so Tulimbilo decides to host a small one. It's a sunny afternoon at Kwasizabandu. It's my birthday and there's two girls I love dearly and I invite them to a birthday picnic by the reception. The reception had beautiful lawns, beautifully manicured garden, and had a table, one of those heavy tables. I buy biscuits and drinks and we sit there and we are dressed in white as the theme of the day. She's about to learn that small celebrations are no good either. I get disciplined that day for, for, for that party. It wasn't even a party. But I get disciplined because we, are, we hang out. I'm told that this act is an act of hooliganism between girls because we're trying to display ourselves for boys. Why are we dressed the way we're dressed? Why are we sitting in the space we're sitting? But the scenery is beautiful and we want to just be in the space. For Kwasizabandu, Tulimbilo's education is going exactly according to plan. She no longer knows where to turn. Who do I relate to? Who do I not relate to? What is right? What can I do? What can I not do? Tulimbilo is at boarding school. She has nobody to take care of her, so nobody does. Erika, at least, has her parents. In one of the Rindavals, on the edge of the mission, she lives with her mom and dad. Her brother and sister are both older than her and are away studying in what was then called the Transvaal. My dad calls me die familie kirkpropi. He says I'm like a little cork that you push underwater and I always just pop up. I always just come back up. And so his nickname for me is Propi because that is who I am. I'm naturally bubbly. I have to temper that down. But my dad never lets me feel as though I should. He still adores me and praises me. Then, one day, outside their rendezvous, Erica's performing a task befitting her status. I'm hanging up washing. One of Erla Stegen's four brothers, Friedel Stegen, or as they call him, Uncle Friedel, arrives at the rendezvous along with a co-worker. The co-workers, remember, are the enforcers of behaviour inside Kwasizabandu. They disappear inside and, minutes later, they emerge again with Erika's mother, who gets into the combi with a co-worker. I'm still not sure what's happening. I see the combi pull away, my mother in the front seat. Her face is drawn. And then Uncle Friedel calls me into the rendezvous and he sits me down and he says, your father has had a heart attack. We don't know if he's going to live or die. And I just know that my father is going to die. And then they all leave and I cry myself to sleep. When Erica wakes up, a co-worker sitting on her bed. And he says to me, your father has died. And then he takes me to Elo's house, up the road that runs along the airstrip, and then the road forks. To get to Elo's house, you take the right fork. 
We arrive at his house. It's quite a big house. You can walk in from the veranda in the front, but most people walk in through the back entrance um, and you walk straight into the kitchen. And there are always people around. I mean, he has a big family, six daughters. Albi, Dr. Albi and his family live there. There are always so many people. Loads of bedrooms. I don't know how many. Um, but yeah, there's, there's always toing and froing, lots, lots of coming and going. Erica asks to see her mother. No can do, they say. Before I am allowed to see my mother, I'm taken to a bedroom. It has twin beds. Uncle Erlo is sitting on the one bed. I sit down on the other bed. I'm in total shock. Uncle Erlo says to me, Erica, do you know what this means? And I say, yes, it, it means Papa has gone to heaven. And he says, no, what it means is that if you do not live a pure life, you will never see your father again. If I die with a single unconfessed sin, I will go to hell. He asks me to confess my sins, and I can't really think of any, but I come up with some. And he prays with me, and he says, your father is no longer around. I will be your father now. Confession, confession, confession. Everything in KSB always comes back to confession. I've been wondering, what's up with that? News24 spoke to Dion Foster from the University of Stellenbosch. He's an expert on cults. Cult is normally a religious community. We would identify a cult by virtue of it having a negative impact on the members of that particular community. Most religions believe in sin, he says, and some also believe that sin must be confessed. But in cults, confession is taken much, much further. In cults, what often happens is that that gets twisted and people are told that they themselves are not good. If they want to conform themselves to the good and to the right, they need to deny aspects which might relate just to their human nature. One would need to confess just very basic aspects of what it means to be human. For example, if you're tired, uh, you may be told that you're being sinful. If you're sick and can't work, you may be expected to confess that you displeased God in some way, and that's why you're sick. The generally accepted principle in healthy religion gets twisted, and it gets used to oppress the members of the community, to manipulate them and force them to do things which go against their own will. By making you confess both your own sins and the sins of everyone around you, people are deliberately isolated. It's a psychological tool to separate you from others and to cause you to question yourself. So to separate you, for example, from parents, from sisters and brothers, to separate you from you know, persons in the community who might be able to offer you perspective or guidance, other than that which comes from the religious leader or the religious community. 
And of course, the more isolated you are, the more you begin to question yourself and say, well, maybe it's just me who's wrong. You know, everybody else here seems to be believing this. There's another telltale sign that you're dealing with a cult, because what is a cult without a messiah? Very often they are communities that are led by a very powerful and charismatic individual. These are persons who, who take authority, they speak with authority, they exercise that authority over people's lives. Those persons, those powerful charismatic persons, operate with what we call exceptionalism. So God has given them some special gift. Maybe there's a prophet or a prophetess who receives God's word directly. There is a prophet. Her name is Hilda Dube. We'll get to her later. And not everybody can access that. So that sense of exception makes people say, I need to remain close to this person. I need to, to listen to what they say. And, and that's something quite dangerous in religion. Back at KSB, it's 1987, and Erica is alone in their Rindavo. It is night and it is raining. Her father has now been dead for a few months and her mother's become a teacher at Domino Servite School. My mother throws herself into schoolwork and she is hardly ever home. There's many a night that I lie awake when it's been raining and I am just absolutely convinced that she slipped and fallen and she's lying with her face in a ditch of muddy water and she's breathing in this muddy water and she's drowning and I need to get up and I need to go and find her. I get up, it's raining. I walk out the front steps of the little rondavel. We're in the second row. Then there are three or four more rows below us. And, but it's, it's quite quick to get to those long buildings where married couples and families live, but there are also some dormitories where single people live. This is where this married man who's my counsellor lives as well. Erika's counsellor is a man called Musi Gunen. You may have heard of him. He's currently serving a life sentence for murder. Musi Gunen we'll talk about next time. And then you run up some more steps and then you've got the communal hall in front of you, which is where they have services when there aren't too many people. And you come out the other side and now you have the hospital where they have the mental patients on your right and on your left is the main administrative building and that's where the two mamas live with Sister Fours lives there, the Sisis live there and that's also where the study is where this man um, has his counselling <laughs> slash fondling practice. Then you get to the main road that runs along the runway so right in front of you is the runway, on the other side of the runway is the auditorium you go through a tunnel to get to the auditorium. And then you turn right down the road. You walk past the workshops and then you get to the school building. And then I can sometimes look through the window and I see my mother at a desk working. And I know that she's not dead in a ditch. She's alive. <laughs> but I still can't sleep until she is home and I know that she's safe. Erica's isolation is complete. At Kwasizabantu, families must turn on each other and friends are too dangerous to have. When you know of a friend's sin and you don't confess it, then you are as guilty and as deserving of eternal hellfire as she is. 
if I were to tell of a sin or a thought or 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 a something, then I am putting her salvation and her well-being in jeopardy because if it comes out later that she knew, she would be in as much trouble as me. You can't really confide in a friend and, and what's the basis of friendship other than, you know, sharing confidences? I know there's probably more to friendship than that, but with that lacking... At KSB, the only friendships are an unspoken sense of kinship. Dylan Pilo and I are definitely kindred spirits. We both, she laughs, she smiles, she is just a ray of sunshine. And in such a dark place, a ray of sunshine is the most welcome relief. Erica, she's a few classes ahead of me, but I just gravitate towards her. Erica was kind, very kind. She's meek. She's Then she's a prefect at some point. And prefects are not people you want to be associated with because they forever want to be in the good books. They forever want to punish you for not doing right. They're not going to sweep things under the carpet. But Erica doesn't seem to be wearing binoculars to find opportunities of evil within you. Erica looks at you with such warmth, even though we're not allowed to be affectionate with each other, but you can almost feel the radiation of her warmth towards you. You can't do anything else but just love her. But is there any love at KSB? Erica sure isn't receiving any, and neither is Dilimbilo. Instead, they spend their days in fear, just waiting for their next punishment. More than anything, you do not want to be summoned to the upper room. In Christian tradition, the upper room in Jerusalem was the location of the Last Supper and also where the disciples received the Holy Spirit. At KSB, it's two rooms upstairs. One has a carpet and one does not. So if you go to the carpeted one, you are going to be sleeping on your stomach and then they were going to work on your bums and your buttocks. If you're lying on your back on the tile floor, you're being beaten all over. It's a plastic pipe for hot water. Usually it's, it's used for hot water. And that's the pipe that they use to use on us. So the children are being assaulted with a piece of drainage pipe. Under extraordinary circumstances, this simple piece of plumbing can be modified. But this time he had sand in it and it was closed on either side. And yeah, I was beaten with it. And, and the sad thing is parents were made to do this on their kids. So it can't, it's not just the co-workers that are beating on their children, but their parents would be part of the beatings if they were around. But in the event, that, because this was a boarding school, in the event they were not there, then the co-workers would beat you up. Kalimpilo will never forget the day she organized a school play. We have a play to keep us busy, to keep us entertained, because you don't have a lot of things to do. We can't watch TVs, we can't listen to radio, and, and, and. So you try and keep within the things that are allowed in this place. So we had a play, and I was part of the group that was staging this play. And this young girl sings a song that was in circulation at the time by Hot Sticks Mabuse. For the burnout, oh my lord. That song. So she sings it. And she's got moves. She's got grooves along with it. 
so the whole house is just feeling her. The whole house is responding to this. We are stopped right in our tracks. We did not finish the play. And everybody was just told to stay where they are. And they prayed for us and then we went to sleep. Then the next morning, there's a distressing message for Glenbilo's whole class. They all need to go to the upper room. We are told that whoever was in the play must come and account because we brought the demons. The demons were crawling in the space. And so we are the first ones to be beaten in front of everybody. As you would expect from KSB by now, there's a ritual to follow when you get punished. The ritual is you need to pray. But before praying, you need to recite or read the scripture. It wasn't one verse, but one of the verses is spare the rod, spoil the child. The different translations will say it differently. But in essence, it just says if you don't beat up a child, the child is going to be a spoiled brat. So the reason we are being beaten so that we do not become spoiled brats. And then you had to pray. You had to pray for the person who's about to give you a hiding. You had to pray and give them blessings because they are doing a good thing. Psychologically, that is just ruining you. But anyway, I'm praying to be beaten and then you you receive your hiding and then you think that after you've just been beaten you you you'd stand there and be like thank you. Thank you. And yeah, you're done. Because if you show any bad attitude towards the person who's beating you up, you, you might not, it might not end well, it might not end. Someone else might have to take over because you still need to be dealt with. You still need to be exorcised of your demon, whatever your demon is. Yeah. So. In this particular instance where we brought the hell to life, I stand corrected, but some of us got 30s, 20s. But no one escaped it because everyone felt the demons crawling in the space, but no one stopped it from happening. Everybody was enjoying it. Everybody. Everyone. So everybody got punished. Not just punished. We were beaten up. We were green. We couldn't sit for days. No one could sit. But you still had to sit because you 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 had to go eat. You had to go. You just had to grin and bear it. It was just a rough week for everyone. Sometimes you're the only one who gets punished. But you'll never stand alone. You'd never be punished alone. You'd never be beaten in private. One of the ways of driving fear yet again is you need they need to set an example that if somebody does something like this, we need to deal with them decisively. She's going to be beaten up. Yeah. It was just mostly no, it was the black children. Not the white children.
At News24, we've been investigating KSV's present, as well as its past. In particular, we've been following the money trail. An organization does not just stay standing for 50 years without big bucks. Exactly where does the mission get the money from? Well, there are two answers. One of the answers is you. If you like papers from Woolies, there might be a slight shortage at the moment. After previously stating that it's not worried about conditions at the mission, last week, Woolworths changed its mind and cancelled all orders with Mseni Farming, which is owned by KSB. In a statement released after the publication of News 24's expose, Woolies says it takes allegations such as these very seriously. Quote, Mseni Farming, our supplier, farms on land owned by the mission, and while allegations do not implicate Mseni, we take allegations such as these very seriously and will offer authorities any assistance they may require. We've ceased all orders with Mseni Farming while we await further information from them, end quote. But the peppers and the other produce are small fry when compared to Aquele and its eternal spring from where water flows to food lovers markets, pick and pay, spa, game, macro, shoprite and checkers. Until last week, that is. Since the publication of Exodus, Aquele Mineral Water has been withdrawn by Spa, Macro, Game and Food Lovers Market. Next time you're thirsty in one of these stores, you'll have to make do without an ice-cold Aquile. Meanwhile, ShopRite, Checkers and Pick and Pay say they are watching developments closely but are not taking further steps. In a statement last week, Aquile denies that KSB is a cult. The company says it's been astounded by the vicious reporting. And also, quote, This is not the first time false stories have been spread about the mission. The mission has always believed that turning to the courts is not the avenue of choice to stop the spread of false stories, which undo the good work. However, given the severity of this attack, we've appointed an external committee consisting of legal, political, business, and grassroot-level individuals to investigate the allegations and publish their findings. We invite you to visit the mission and see for yourself that the allegations against the mission are unfounded, end quote. A few months ago, Kwasizabantu barred News 24 from entering the compound in the Valley of a Thousand Hills. In July, we supplied a detailed list of questions to KSB and the mission issued a blanket denial. It added, open quote, thank you for finally disclosing to us the true reason why you wanted to visit us at the mission, end quote. Now, as then, News 24 would still like to visit the mission. If Aquile's offer is genuine, we'll report on it as soon as we can. Last week, KSB issued one media release after the other, all of which you can read at news24.com. In a statement on Thursday, headlined, Aquele, the real victim. KSB says, quote, most of the allegations are vague and lacking any real particularity, end quote. It says that, quote, reasonable and moderate corporal punishment, end quote, was only used until 1994. It adds, there were aberrations and excesses of corporal punishment before 1994, which were dealt with by the church discipline and teaching, end quote. There are loads more reactions at news24.com, including from the KZN provincial government, the IFP, 
the SA Human Rights Commission, and this guy, Police Minister Peggy Tele. Uh, there are stories that I know that are being investigated. And I'm not going to be talking about the investigation that are going on that have not been finalised. But now, let's return to the road outside the mission 12 years ago, where two pregnant women have just been fired. It would take the Labour Court four years to rule that Mandy Nomia was wrongfully dismissed and Okwele needs to pay damages. But Okwele appeals. Two more years go by. Finally... The Labour Court of Appeal rules in Mandy's favour again and orders that she be compensated with a year's salary. And how did Mandy Nomia respond to her victory? Well, she did not. Two weeks before the court ruled in her favour, she's going home from her job at KFC when the driver loses control of the vehicle. Mandy Nomia dies in Durban, leaving behind her mother and her five-year-old son. If Mandy were alive two weeks later, she would have been paid a full year's salary by Aquile. The payment comes to 7,945 rand. Not a month, a year. This means 12 years ago, Aquile paid Mandy a salary of just 662 rand a month. Adjusted for inflation, that is equivalent to a monthly salary of 1,237 rand. Rest in peace, Mandinomia. Lalangoktula. Now, if you ask KSB, Mandy is in hell now. Hell, the full power of which is related to the children every week at the dreaded movie night. Notice what happens to friendships in hell. From the book of Daniel, we have the story of King Belshazzar on earth. Then he lived it up with his friends. What is interesting is the way that hell is depicted by the mission, and how it doesn't sound that different from Gwasizabantu itself. For instance, in one scene of the burning hell, which Erika and Olympila are watching week by week by week by week, we witness a once-beloved king fall from grace. What a day of confusion it must have been for him, with all of his kingly power stripped from him, and he being escorted to hell by demons. Let's see him on his arrival in hell. Get your filthy hands off me. I'll have you flogged and beheaded for this. Guards! Guards! Your guards cannot help you now, Majesty. <laughs> Amid much wailing and gnashing of teeth, the king spots an old friend. Nisra, it is I, the king of Babylon. Go your way, Belshazzar. It's because of you that I'm in this pain. I thought he'd be glad to see me. Well, I'm not. You led me in paths of The king's earthly friend is now his friend no more. In this awful pain. For this, I hate you. I hate you. He used to love me. You'll find that no one loves another here. That's what every lost soul finds out in hell. There is no love, only hate. Sister hates sister and brother hates brother. The parade of faces that Belshazzar sees are countless. Hundreds of those whom he reveled with were there. But no matter how great they were on earth, whether Pharaoh or king or captain. For Erika and Glenimbilo, it'll be a long walk to the road out of the mission. Eventually, one of them will be cast out and one of them will decide to leave. Which do you think is which? Next time on Exodus.
This was Exodus chapter 2, The Road. It was produced by me, Noctula Magnati, and written by me and Dion Wiggett, who is also the creator. The sound engineer is Sean Jeffress, and our production manager is Charlene Droet. Field recording by Alyoshka Kolstock. Reporting on this story is by Tammy Peterson and Azara Karim, with editors Sheldon Marias and Paul Herman. The editor-in-chief is Adrian Basson. Special thanks for this episode goes to Mpora Burife and Shante Schatz. Music courtesy of Getty Images and Epidemic Sound. If there's anything about KSB that you'd like to share with us, you can mail us at exodus at 24.com. If anything came up for you while listening to this episode, you can always call the South African Depression and Anxiety Group on 0800-456-789. This has been a production of News24.